Yesterday afternoon, I think we started talking about the global mandate, and we addressed the four-chapter gospel, and if you recall, we said that the four-chapter gospel covers four areas of our, four areas, four aspects of the, of the kingdom of God. Number one, we talk about creation and how in creation God was introduced to us as the creator and therefore a worker. And it was very clear to us from God's creation that he created us as an object of his delight, his pleasure, and definitely his love. And that he invited us to be co-creators with him. And that because God worked, he now invited Adam to also work alongside. Genesis 2.15. Do you guys guys remember all of that? Okay, I think it's very, very important. And now, I don't, I want to emphasize again that I don't want us to confuse the aspect of working that we are talking about now to the works of the law under Moses. Two different things. Uh, The aspect of works under the law of Moses has to do with performance-based acceptance. In which case, I perform in order to be accepted. I perform in order to invite the blessings of God. I perform so that God can favor me. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, you will notice that the work that God did, which is subsequently invited Adam to be a part of in Genesis 2.15, to walk in the garden, to tend and to keep it. That work was before the fall. It's important you keep that in mind. Okay, that work was before the fall. In understanding creation, the first part of the four chapter gospel, man's eternal destiny was clearly revealed through the cultural mandate be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue. So, really, in essence, in essence, when you understand all of this, you put it all together, the great commission did not begin in Mark 16 or Matthew 28. He went back to Genesis where God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful. Huh? What was I mean? Multiply. Okay? Replenish. Subdue. So right there in Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, you saw right there the big picture of ultimately what the Great Commission will be about. And I think I I mentioned yesterday also that even though the Garden of Eden was perfect, it was not finished. I think it's important you recognize that because if Adam and Eve never fell, if they never fell into sin, there is no way they can be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and remain in the Garden. The garden could never have contained them. 
God knew that. So I'm saying this because we're going to move forward in a minute. But this is important that we grasp this. Because if God placed them in the garden and had all the resources for their success made before he brought them forth, then it's obvious that God had placed within them the potential, the resources, the creativity with which Adam and Eve will have expanded all over the earth and created civilizations and created innovations and created quality of lifestyle that will be conducive to being a blessing to mankind. All of that was right there in the very beginning. Amen? Now, so we have the first part, which is the creation. The second part of that fourth chapter gospel is the fall. And unfortunately, for the most part, that's where the traditional church begins. Or rather, that's where, we, that, that's where we begin to talk about what happened. In other words, if I'm talking to an unbeliever, I want to introduce God to an unbeliever. In the past, that's, that's, the, that's the traditional way. We say, well, Adam sinned, we fell. That's where we start our, our story. But we've missed a whole chapter. So the unbeliever is scratching his head. Okay, so Adam sinned and we fell. What, what, what's that got to do with me? But if they understood that our creation, God created that unbeliever for an eternal purpose. That the tools, the resources, the talents, everything you will need, not just to succeed, but to be a part of God's overall succession plan is already in him. All of a sudden, he found himself in, the, in God's plan. This is why this is important. We need to see the overall picture. Remember the puzzle? When you buy a puzzle, there's a picture. You see the picture. You know what the picture is like. And then you start putting the pieces in place. And when you're putting pieces in place, when you finally get it all together, you recognize that what you've put together fits with the master plan. The creation gives us the master plan. Within the concept of the master plan, we have the fall. Adam fell. That's the way things are. Creation is the way things were. The fall is the way things are. So Adam fell. Okay? The third chapter of the fourth gospel chapter is redemption. Redemption. What God did now to redeem all those who are in Adam, but not just that, and also his eternal purpose. It's important we see that. Because if you don't see that what happens is you only see the redemption and then you see that as just a final full stop. And that's the problem with the church. For the most, most time in the church we see the salvation as a destination. When in fact it is the regrafting us back into the original purpose. It was never intended to be a full stop. It was never intended to be a destination but it's a restart, if you will, a reset button so that we can be grafted back to the original plan and ultimately the fourth chapter of that four-chapter gospel is the restoration of all things. When God will make all things new again. Amen? So that's what we covered yesterday afternoon in summary. So today now, going to 
lesson number three, God's view of work. God's view of work. Now, if you remember yesterday, I told you that only 3% of the body of Christ is called into the so-called ascension gift ministry. Apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophets. 3%. Only 3 out of 100 believers are called into so-called pulpit ministry. Now, so did God create the other 97 to be just spectators? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So that's what we want to look at now. God's view of work. So now, in your notes, which among these occupations will be considered the most spiritual vocation? Missionary in Africa? An attorney? Here we have Mrs. Folani, uh, Pastor Folahan, Ajeni, she's a lawyer. Pastor of a large church? Oh. <laughs> You can see she's still she's still under the law. Teach for that. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Residential plumber, Billy Graham. Now, traditionally, when we look at this, what we just talk, what would you think? Who would you think is more spiritual? Get a mission in Africa for a second, all to go to a mission in Africa. <laughs> well, I'm glad you are not God <laughs> because God says all are equal inside of God, and really, for all of us here, there are set ministries. I want you to understand that. And I really want us to take that seriously and begin to really teach that big time to our congregation. Big time. We can never get the job done apart from them. If you notice what we started with yesterday, the very first lesson, rediscovery, the, uh, what, what how did, does the handy call it? Let me see. Let me, let me find it quickly. Rediscovering, that's lesson number one in this uh, yeah. Rediscovering the destiny of every believer. Rediscovering the destiny of every believer. It is important that we recognize that we are not going to get the job done alone. Absolutely. God has never. In fact, Dr. Hamby says the entire New Testament is written for the saints, not for preachers. For the saints, not the preachers. Amen? So, Colossians chapter 3, let's read it here. It says, whatever you do, it's actually in your notes, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Notice what it said. Whatever you do, what does that mean? Whatever, whatever you do. What is whatever? Whatever. Whatever. So, to Funke's point, if you're a missionary in Africa, that's Whatever. If you're an attorney, that's whatever. If you're a pastor, that's whatever. If you're a residential plumber, that's a whatever. If you're a Billy Graham, that's whatever. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
Remember again, what we are talking about here is not the law of Moses, but work as far as productivity, as far as engaging, whether it's a, being a lawyer, being a nurse, being an engineer, a physician, wherever you find yourself gainfully employed doing something, you need to recognize that that job you are doing it's not a redundancy. You are not filling space in time. In fact, God wants you to recognize that if you have the right mindset, that work is in fact a platform, an opportunity for ministry. That's what it is. Now, let, let, let me just go, let, let's go look, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, because uh, in verse 11 and 12, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, let's look at something here. Hmm. Whatever you do, whatever that is, it doesn't matter whatever you do, do it with your heart. As working for the Lord. Now look at what it says. And he gave some. Isn't that interesting? He didn't give all. But some. So right there, it, 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 it helps us define what we're talking about. He gave some, not all, but some, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For their keeping. All the saints. Notice this. He didn't give these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to promote the work of the apostles or the pastors. Ah. He did not give them so that the saints can promote our work. No. He gave them for the benefit of who? The saints. So that the saints can be equipped. What does it mean to be equipped? To receive tools. To receive training. To receive what you need to be complete. For the equipping of the saints. Why? Why do the saints need to be equipped? For the work of their ministry. We are not equipping the saints for the work of my ministry. Ah. I don't think you got it. Our job in the Ascension Gift Ministry is to prepare each saint for the work of their own ministry, not ours. Why? Because we are recognizing, as we will see later in this chapter, that Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the earth, has created each one of the saints as a workman, fit or meet unto good works. Scroll down for me, please. Let's go to verses 13 and 14. Let me see if, if it's here. 
Go to verse 14. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Okay? Go to verse 17. No, I don't think it's Ephesians chapter 4 then. Let me see. Let me, let me. Chapter 2? Thank you. Chapter 2. Yeah, verse 10. Give me 2 and 10. Ephesians 2, 10. Thank you. Look at this. For we are, who is we? All of us. All of us are his workmanship. Now, let, let, let's take a pause there. Is there any workmanship? Is, is there anything that God does that's not, he doesn't do well? Where's workmanship? That word workmanship implies a work that is in progress. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Comma. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has in his mind good works for every saint that he has prepared beforehand. Now for us, Pastor Mervyn, Dr. Yenko, Pastor Falahon, Pastor Wale, God has now placed this responsibility in our hands to work together with him to make sure that this sense is committed to us. Receive the equipment, equipment they need, the grooming they need, so that they can be ready to do what God has called them to do. Now, how should that make us feel? You should be totally say, God, my goodness, I, I can't, Father, how, how is this going to happen? You're going to entrust to my hand the equipping and training of this precious sins for which you sent your son to die and you are counting to walk through us to give them the tools they need so that they can represent you in the world. That should be a very humbling experience. Very, very scary and humbling thing. But the important thing here is to, for us to recognize each one of us has been prepared for something greater than ourselves. Greater than ourselves, bigger than ourselves, and if we do it right, will last longer than us. Amen? So, let's move on. He establishes our work back in your notes. Psalms 90, verse 17. It's in your notes. He said, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of, your, of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, our focus here is to help us understand that work is worship. We said that yesterday. The same Hebrew word, avoda. And that the 97% of us that do not have a public ministry have as much uh, significance to God as those that do have a public ministry. God makes no, no distinction. He does not make any distinction between the, the sacred and the so-called secular. All of us are the same before God. We are all called to be kings and priests. All of us. We are a kingdom of priesthood. Not just some of us. Amen? 
Again, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, in verses 2 and 3, we saw this yesterday, but we're going to see it again now. By the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So again, we see that God worked. God is a worker. And because God is a worker, you and I have been called to be co-workers along with God. In Genesis 2.15, we see that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Again, this was before the fall. Genesis 3.17 and 18, we see that our perfect work environment was changed when Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3, 17, 18. It's right there in your notes. God, I mean, I'm sorry. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of all, the, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Now, uh, uh, Jesus came to save all that was lost, including work. Do you believe that? Jesus came to save all that was lost, including work itself. Luke 19.10. In your notes, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. We are called to be the head and not the tail. The Lord will make you head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. God's call upon people's lives was in context of their work lives and not a separate calling. Now, this is very, this is very good to see. You realize, you re- remember when God called Moses uh, in Exodus 4, 2? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. In other words, the tool that God was going to use, that God was going to use in Moses' life was not something outside of what he was already doing. The rod was in his hand. He used the rod as instrument for the work he did. So when God called him, that rod that he was already familiar with was exactly what God used in not only dealing with him, but in, this, in delivering the Israelites out of Egypt and ultimately cross, I mean, parting the Red Sea and on and on and on he went. So God did not separate Moses' work from the call when he called him. Amen. In Exodus 4, 17, we see the same thing, but take this stuff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Amazing. That God used something that he was already familiar with to do the ministry he was giving him. We see the same thing with David. David, when he went to fight Goliath, Saul tried to give him his armor. He put them on. Uh, king, uh, I'm glad, uh, thank you, King, for all this wonderful equipment, but you know what? I'm not familiar with this. Let me go back to what I know. And what he knew, what he's been familiar with, using in what he did with the shepherd, ultimately became the tool of his deliverance and the, and the, and the victory. Amen? Now, in Exodus 35, 
We mentioned this last yesterday, verses 31 through 35. Bezalel was the first man described in the Bible as a man filled with the Spirit of God. Now, that is interesting. That is very interesting. That the very first man we see in the scripture described as being filled with the Spirit of God was not a prophet. Was not a pastor. Was not an evangelist. The very first time we ever see anyone being filled with the Spirit of God, it has to do with working with their hands. An artisan. When was the last time you and I, in a real life experience, saw a, a juror working with a ring? I said, wow, you have a lot of wisdom. We don't, we, we, we don't acknowledge that when we see those guys do what they do. For some reason, we just don't think that's so, impo- that's so important. But the Bible, very clearly, let's read the passage. Exodus 35, verse 31, 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Ur, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. What? A carpenter? With skill? Ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Oholiab, son of Ahimashak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them master craftsmen and designers. Today we call that secular. God calls it spiritual. Doc mentioned it earlier that your identity leads you to your behavior. When you are certain in who you are, when you understand who you are, ultimately that will carry over to what you do. I mentioned it in person yesterday, but it's, it's worth saying again. You are never to be identified by your activity. You identify yourself by who God says you are. Who you are brought to bear on what you do does not change who you are. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in the body. The real you is your spirit. And you need to recognize that. I don't want to go too graphic here. If you are taking a shower, you are spiritual. When you are playing soccer, you are spiritual. When you are preaching, you are spiritual. Absolutely. There's no, there's, there's no greater worship than that. <laughs> because two becomes one. <laughs> now, Doc, we know what's on your mind now. <laughs> no, but seriously. But seriously. I mean, I mean that, that, that's, that's, it's, it's true. It's true. 
So we, we, we need to stop making these dichotomies that God has never made. Because when we start saying, well, one is sacred or one is spiritual, the other one is secular, we, we, we create a lot of confusion. We create a lot of gulf. God walked, did he make him secular? Jesus was a carpenter, did he make him secular? Oh, I have one for you. He went to a wedding ceremony. He was at the party. So while, while he was at the party, was he carnal? No. Those things don't identify you. They don't change who you are. They don't change who you are. In fact, in fact, you, by bringing your identity to the situation or to the place, you just change the label of the place. If they were carnal at the party, when you arrive, it just became spiritual. Whatever it is. And, and it's important you understand that because if you don't get that, when you go to work, it's like you put your, oh, good, doc. It's like you put your spiritual mask at home, you put on your secular mask. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's not God's intention. In fact, God is sending you to that job. Because there's someone on that job, on that day, who needs ministry, and you are the one that's adequately equipped by God to go and minister in it. Yeah. So we need to start, we need to stop depreciating what we do. And begin to appreciate what we do. We need to start recognizing that we are spiritual entities 24-7, not some of the time, all of the time. Because wherever you go, hear this, you can't put the Holy Ghost at home when you go. For in him, you live. In him, you move. And in him, you have what? Your being. So there's no such thing as part-time Christianity. It's no such thing. Oh, Shade, it's wonderful to see you. Praise God. That's a coded message. So I want us to begin to see God's view for work in a totally different perspective. It's huge. Okay? Work is worship. Work truly is worship to God. Both words in the Old Testament come from the same Hebrew word, avoda. If you are in a workplace, your mission field is as great as any mission field in the world. Amen? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. We have it here in your notes. But I just saw uh, okay, some spelling error here. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And in verse 19 he says, and it's incomparably great power for us who believe. In Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 14, it's clear that God has a plan for each one of us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, 14, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and not to harm, oh, you come upon me 
And no harm. Look, wait a minute. Give it to me on the overhead. I don't know what I'm reading here in this notes. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. Thank you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Go ahead. Then you will call on me, upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Go ahead. To verse 14. You will seek me and find me <laughs> when you seek me with all of your heart. Verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So we see that God has a plan for you. There are plans of good and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. Now, Jesus also had a work to do. We see this in his prayer in John 17 verse 4. He prayed it out loud clearly. He said to his father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, this bears a little emphasis. This bears a little emphasis. What we get from this John 17 4 is the fact that finishing what God gives us is what brings him glory. Let me pause that for a minute. Finishing your assignment brings him glory. Because the fact that you finished it means you've, you've, you've be allowed him to manifest through you what he planned from the beginning. From the world, from the, before the world began. So Jesus said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing, not by starting it. Not by quitting midway because of persecution or hardship or trials. But by completing the work you gave me to do. So this, this is the irony. This, this is the real tragedy. If I didn't know what the work was, how can I finish it? Because clearly Paul said, I have finished my course. So he knew. And because he knew, he knew when it started and he knew when it finished. He knew. Jesus knew. Paul knew. Do we know? This was the reason for which when Jesus sent out those disciples in Matthew chapter, I believe, 11 or 12, one of those, he said to them very clearly, enter not into the way of the Samaritans. He told them. He said, but go to the house of the lost sheep of Israel. Their first assignments were not to the Samaritans. In other words, not to those in the outside. But go to their, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You need to ask yourself the question, how can a sheep be lost? Because normally in scriptures, you contrast sheep with goats. Sheep are believers who are already in the covenant. Goat are unbelievers outside of the covenant. But to sheep who are supposed to be in the covenant, he said they are lost. So is he saying they are going to hell and dying, they're going to go to hell? No, that's not what he's saying. 
What he was saying is, you better go to this ship. They are lost. Why are they lost? They are in the church, but they don't know the, they don't know the vision. Oh, they show up every Sunday, but they have no idea where they are going. They have no sense of destiny, no sense of purpose, no sense of vision. They are just merely existing. They are not living. Go get them first. Because if you don't get them first, and you bring Samaritans to them, they're going to make them twice the son of hell. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to know. We need to know. Now, I'm not saying that to get you to be to belabor and just now and, and just became become packed and stuck and say for the next three months I'm not doing anything until I know what God is going. No, 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 no. When you go to work tomorrow, that's where you start. Remember, it's the steps of a good man that are ordered of God, not the plans of a good man. So I don't have a plan for the next six months. I don't have a plan for the next year. That's fine. That's good. Take the steps you know. So the steps you know is, come Monday morning, you need to be at that work at 9 a.m. Be there. Be on time. Be diligent. Work excellently. Let the love of God flow through you. Those ones you know now, you don't have to pray for that. You already know that. And let each day unfold progressively the next day. Are you following what I'm saying? Do what you know. God will unveil in time what you don't know. Be faithful where you are over a few things and in time, you make a ruler over many. That's how it happens. Amen? So God gives us work to do that flows from our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. All right. Why their workplace? Why the workplace? Still in your notes on page 36. Why the workplace? Why is this important? So what's the big deal about work? So the answer to that is, where do a majority of men and women spend a majority of their time interacting with a majority of the lost one? Where does that happen? In church or in the neighborhoods? Workplace. Workplace. In any given workplace USA, you can find more sinners than anywhere else. Workplace. And all of us spend most of our time in those workplaces. Minimally, minimally a third of our life. Minimally. Minimally. We spend 40 hours a week in the workplace. And if you're a real, 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 real passionate, zealous, wonderful churchgoer, you spend five hours a week in church. Think about that. 40 hours and five hours. Something is wrong with that equation if we just think church is what's it. In fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, we need to recognize that church is not, how can I say this, without uh, being misunderstood. Church is not God's ultimate purpose. 
Did you guys? This this is not being heretic. Church is the entry place to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is larger than the church. The kingdom of God means all-encompassing sovereign rule of God in all areas of human existence. Or fruit of the church is just a fraction. So God wants to see his kingdom, his rule, his lordship established in every area of our life. Including the media, Hollywood, entertainment industry, sports industry, everything. You know, recently, I think it was in May or June, I can't remember now, uh, Funala Adeoye, Bishop's daughter, was crowned as Miss Nigeria USA. While I was visiting with them in Maryland. Was, what, what month was it? May? May. May. And I said to Bishop, I said, Bishop, wow, do you know what an opportunity this is? It's not here today. I, I will have gone into greater, greater detail on the, on, on the story. I said, this is, a, this, is a, this is a huge platform. Because all of a sudden, the young lady has a voice and a platform to reach people the Lord Bishop can never reach. <laughs> yeah. That's the kingdom of God. His father has a voice in the church. But not a voice out there. Where it really, really does matter. So I'm saying this to help us appreciate all the various gifts, all the various diverse things that God is using to expand, increase, and advance his kingdom. I said, well, pastor, that's far-fetched. Oh, really? Excuse me? How about Queen Esther? How was she able to affect the kingdom? Beauty pageant. She became Miss Portia, if you will. And in that position of influence, had a voice with a king that nobody has had. And from that position of influence, was able to avert judgment that was hanging upon the Jews. There are school kids, people that Funada can talk to that you and I in Israel can, can touch. But in order, for do, in order for her to do that, she has to be equipped. She has to understand that God's purpose in her life is bigger than just wearing the crown. And walking down the, what they call that thing? Runway. And looking good and smiling. Those will be the bait that opens the door. And then she can give them the message. And what I'm saying is, in our churches, in our spheres of influence, there are various individuals with different giftings, just like that, that God wants to use to open the doors and make things happen. But we need to know that and we need to prepare them for it. Amen? So, the workplace is a place where we spend a lot of time and at the same time where we see, where we interact with a lot of people who are lost. Why the workplace? Let's look at the biblical models and examples. Where did Jesus spend most of his time? I just told you, John chapter 2, Kenya and Galilee, it's amazing to me, the first public appearance was at the party. 
<laughs> you guys can't you can deal with that. <laughs> because if you guys had to plan Jesus' itinerary, you had him in synagogue 24 7. <laughs> Jesus would be, you put him in a box in the synagogue 24 7. And he said, No way. First time, other than his baptism, he went straight to a party. Ah, okay. Wedding, wedding reception, not even a ceremony. He bypassed the ceremony. He went straight to the reception. Where the wine was flowing. <laughs> and he had the opportunity to multiply it when it, when it ran out. Amen? In the New Testament, of the 132 public appearances of Jesus, 122 were in the marketplace. Unbelievable. Of the 52 parables Jesus told, 45 had a workplace context. Of the 40 divine interventions recorded in the book of Acts, 39 were in the marketplace. Are we getting the gist? <laughs> Jesus spent more than 50% of his adult life as a carpenter until age 30 before he went into a preaching ministry in the workplace. That's incredible. Ah, look at this last one. <laughs> How many pastors or priests did Jesus call to be his disciples? I'm glad he didn't. They would have messed his, his ministry up. <laughs> oh my goodness, he didn't call one. Can you imagine that? Now that's a, we need to ask him when we get to heaven. What do we do? <laughs> not one, not even one out of twelve. Now this 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 if if I don't know who I am in Christ now, I'll I'll have some kind of complex. Because he called Judas before he called any priest. <laughs> He called Judas a betrayer before, before he would call a preacher. My goodness. I think I'm going to carry a different ID now. <laughs> Just call me bank, man. Please, amen. <laughs> yeah. Not one. Not one. No, not one. Look at Paul's example in Acts 17, verses 17 and 18. Paul's example. Acts 17, 17 and 18. He says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, are we getting a sense of how God is thinking here? If we're going to reach our world, we're going to have to use the total uh, we have to engage the total church for the total harvest. We have to engage everybody. Everybody has to play a role to play. Amen? Okay. Number two here, it's a place to minister to the felt needs of men and women. I'll give you guys the example of you know, when I worked at Eastern Airlines. I mean, every day, every day, I dealt with people, saw people who had real needs on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and what, this, what this really did, now thinking back at 
uh, added. I didn't pray for someone on Monday that I will avoid on Tuesday and Wednesday. Because that's what happens in church. So you see somebody on Sunday, they have a need, you pray for them on Sunday, you don't see, see them again until next Sunday. But in a workplace environment, you're in Canada on Monday. On Tuesday, you can't change your act. They still see you again. On Wednesday, they see you again. On Thursday, so, so you have constant, regular interactions with these people on a day-to-day-to-day basis. Not only do you become a source of blessing to them, now thinking back at it, it helps your own accountability. Because you are not going to minister to a person on Monday and Tuesday they see you goofing off, telling a lie, or stealing company money. That's counterproductive. So, you, so it helps you to, to understand this is, this, 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 this is my territory, this, this is my sphere of influence, my matron, as Paul calls it. Yeah. Number three, it's one of the most strategic and untapped segments of society for reaching the world. It is a breeding ground for intentional relationship building. And really for me, if we took a poll here, it would be very interesting to see our experience and how we came to the Lord. That's how I came to, to know Jesus myself. I worked in a job with a guy who saw me one night on the midnight shift. I would never forget it. Rodney Jackson. I'm sitting down here and just remembering his name and recalling the moment this guy came to me and said to me, Bank, you need God. <laughs> I don't know who trained him, but he, he just gave it to me straight away. He didn't worry. He just said, you need God. Wow! No one has ever spoken to me like that before. No one. Because really at that time, I thought I was God. Yeah. He just told me, shut up. I mean, and, and he said that to me because I was giving him a handbill to come to a nightclub. I'm going around my job giving everybody a handbill. You know, I'm inviting them to a nightclub. You guys are laughing. Okay, you can laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was doing. On the job, inviting folks to the nightclub, man. You need to come. You're going to have a good time. Amen. <laughs> now, yeah, I was evangelizing for the devil. <laughs> he accepted my handbill. I will never forget it. Looked at it. And his, his response was, bank, you need God. He didn't say anything else. I walked away from that guy and said, you are crazy. I didn't say it out loud. I just said in my head, this guy is crazy. But don't you know that those words rang in my head for days? For days, that's all I could hear. Echo. God, you need God. You need God. <laughs> for days. That's what I did. <laughs> Praise God. That's why I met you on your job as well. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. On uh, Pleasant Hill. Yeah, I remember that now. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is interesting. You are right. That's exactly what happened. And truly, I left that guy. Ah, maybe a week or two went by. I'm, I got restless. It took me three attempts to find that church. Because it was, just, it was a hole in the wall. In a shopping center somewhere in, uh, off Memorial Drive. When I one Sunday, couldn't find anyone back home. Three times. The third time I found it. You know, but I'm just saying, I, I, you know, I don't want to go into all of that, but I'm just saying, seem to, you know, there's a lot more credibility. I knew the guy, Roddy Jackson, was an exemplary worker. He had credibility, had integrity. So even though he said to me, you need God, I couldn't fight him. All I could do was walk away and say, it's crazy. In my head, I couldn't even say it out. Because I cannot refute what I'm looking at. I couldn't. And so when God was ready to pluck this harvest, I went out on my own, told my wife, when I'm finding a place together. So I'm just saying this to say to us, we need to know, we need to understand that there are real issues, real human beings with real needs every day on those jobs and we do not necessarily have to go there with a Bible and just say you need to be born again or you go to hell. No, 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 no. No, that's, 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 that's not even what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But we can definitely preach the message with our lifestyle. And if people will know where to come for help, I guarantee you they know it. They know where to come. They, they may argue you down. They may debate you. They may say it's not true. But when that need comes, ah, they know who to call. They know. They know who to call. Yeah. Back to number three, the Gallup poll. An incredible 50% of people said they had discussed spiritual issues in the past 24 hours. These are only jobs. People talk about this all the time. No other area compares to the impact of this. No, not in the church or in neighborhoods. Henry Blackaby, uh, one of the very renowned guys that's leading the workplace ministry revolution, uh, is, is saying that there's a pattern of revival and evidence that God is moving on these jobs again and that we all should join God in what he's doing. Uh, this is what he says, a quote in your notes. When we talk with them, referring to CEOs, about the fact that in the Bible, most of all the activity of God that changed society was done in the workplace and not in the church. Suddenly the lights come on and they say, how can I then make decisions in the workplace that make a radical difference? CEOs are listening. Because you know, what's, you know what they are concerned about? Bottom line, profit. So if they know that there are things happening that can improve their bottom line, they're willing to listen. They're willing to listen. George Banner, who is a very great and very active uh, uh, pollster, he does all kinds of polling about Christianity and the, uh, and, the, and, and the church. This is what it says. Workplace ministry will be one of the core future innovations in church ministry. A great number of people will team with work associates to develop a ministry to the people whom they encounter in that segment of the marketplace. These people will serve as ministers to their associates, engaging in evangelism, 
the serpent and service ministries, they will exploit the freedom they have to be a roving ambassador of Christ to the world they regularly inhabit. Unbelievable. And it's happening already. For instance, the CDC is one of the first uh, uh, workplace ministries that they've developed fellowship now that's very, very vibrant and very strong. And there are many more like that, like them all over the United States now begin to pop up. Amen? Billy Graham, January 2003. He says, I believe one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. Blackaby again in June 2003 says, I've never seen the activity of God this deeply in the business community as I do right now. God is up to something. In Acts 18, verses 1 through 4, we see the, we see the Priscilla's and Aquilas. It goes on to say, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, they were, as he stated, as they were rather, ten because they were, he stayed and worked with them. That's what I said earlier. I mean, apostle is the, I mean, another apostle. Paul is the foremost apostle of the New Testament, and he was a tent maker. I mean, who covered more ground than Paul? No one. Who did God use so to accomplish so much in the New Testament? And even with all of that, this man was a tent maker. He was a tent maker. Hmm? Real estate. Real estate. <laughs> Verses 24 and 26 of Acts 18. We see that Aquila and Priscilla knew the scriptures. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a landman with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great favor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Okay? So how many of you belong to a local church which has in Intentional training program to make you effective in your workplace ministry. I'll call it. Even here at Workfan, we need to really, really get serious with this. If we believe this message, then we need to have a program that's helping believers who are part of the congregation to receive the training they need so that when they go to their jobs or to their workplace ministries, they can be effective in what they do. It's huge. This, see, this is what the church should be doing every week. Not just giving more doctrine. What we need is practical, hands-on ministry so we can go out and do the ministry for which God has called us. Wow, it is quiet. I just wonder now, what would have happened when I worked for Eastern Airlines with my zeal and my passion? 
If somebody plays some kind of program in my hand and say, you know what? While you're there every day, use this and use that to enhance the ministry you're doing. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But when we recognize that 97% of us are out there, and that we are not just out there so we can come to church on Sunday and give tithes and offering, but that we are an integral part of the great army that God is raising up, and we are fighting at different fronts, just like a regular army, a regular military. You have Air Force, Navy, Marines, Special Services, and all of them have one cohesive goal to protect and to serve. But they do it at different levels, different places, different places to, to get it done. That's the same thing the church should be doing. Now, we are not doing that yet here. And I, I, I talked to Sammy a while back about, about all of this, and we need to perfect this GMI, GMI program at home so we really have a voice when we go out. So this fall, we, need to, we, we are putting some things together that will, that will change that. Yeah, but uh, we, we, re- we, re- we need to help each saint understand their call and their place. Yeah. Amen? Ed Sivoso, in his book, Another for Business, this is what it says about spiritual self-esteem. The most common self-inflicted put down is, quote and unquote, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a lay person. That's what most people say. This is all part of a clever satanic scheme to neutralize apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers along with the entire army of disciples already positioned in the marketplace. Now, thank God for the pastor needs, pastor Tosins, they pray, we, we like their praying, we say, oh man, these people can pray. But what will happen if we all recognize that because we're all called to the workplace, we all need to learn how to pray? Because when you go to your workplace, there are real needs by real people who need answers. You can't go and call your pastor from home and say, oh, Pastor, come go with me to, to the airport, come pray for John Doe or Sally Jane. At that point and moment, you are their pastor. The grace of God is upon your life, this, the, the anointing of God is upon your life. God calls on you to step in there and do ministry. Because he's going to do it through you. But you have to have the confidence to know that you're equipped and ready to do what God wants to do in you and through you. Amen? I mentioned this last night, the opportunity that awaits us. When, what happens when the church equips and releases the workplace follower of Christ? Like I said yesterday, there are 40,000 American missionaries working in the 1040 window right now. 40,000. But there are also 2 million Americans in the so-called secular employment in the 1040 window. 2 million. 2 million. Now, it is estimated that 30% of those 2 million are born again. If 10% were trained and equipped, that means we'll be adding another 2 100,000 people to the missionary force in a 1040 window without costing another dime. In fact, they will be paid to carry the gospel of the kingdom. 
And really, when you read John chapter 4, that's what Jesus said. John chapter 4. He made, he, he made a statement. Let me, let me find it. He made a statement that I think corroborates the fact that people will be paid while they are carrying the message. Yeah. John chapter 4, verse 36. Verse 35. John 4, 35. Thank you. Do not save four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Verse 36. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Uh oh. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows, and another rapes is true. Give it to me in the NKJV. New King James Version. Thank you. Give it to, give verse 36 to me. New King James. And he who reaps receives wages. Rodney Jackson was reaping me as a harvest at Eastern Airlines. When he said to me, bank you need God. He was being paid for reaping the harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Why he was gathering me as a fruit, he was being paid for it. So that both he who sows, God, and he who reaps, Rodney Jackson, may rejoice together. There's another passage that says you did not you are sowing where you did not reap. Let me see that. Huh? The same passage, I think. Uh... Aha, verse 38. Thank you. Look at verse 38. This is powerful. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. You have entered into their labors. Wow. So if I'm working for General Motors, did I start it? No. No. If I'm working for Ford Motors, I didn't start Ford Motors. I'm not Mr. Henry's uh, cousin. I would have liked to be. <laughs> no. They labored. I did not sow there. I just got employed. And by my employment there, I begin to receive wages. I did not sow, but I'm receiving something. Okay? So Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to reap where you have not sown. Where is that? In your workplace ministries. You didn't sow to start the job. You didn't sow to start the business. You are there. You are working there. But as you reap harvest for him, you are reaping harvest. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are getting wages for uh, eternal life. Amen? Huge. Huge. Any, any questions on that? Any questions at all? Or thoughts? Yes. Funke?
supposed to be a worker in the church. You should okay. have a department that you're functioning at. Okay. So if you're looking at the category now that you're putting a missionary man with a plumber and other stuff. So if I like we have a plumber now in our church, what kind of department do you think that person can function in? Even if he is a plumber outside and is ready fulfilled, and in church we are like casualty for people to be in the church and not necessarily be in the particular department functioning in the church. Okay. Okay, let me make a distinction. What we are dealing with here has nothing to do with how you function inside the church. There are essential services that must take place within the church. I'm an usher. I minister in praise and worship. I do children's ministry, I teach kids in children's ministry. All of those things are essential church services that all of us who are members of a church who belong to the community of faith must participate in. However, if for instance I'm an usher on Sunday morning, when church is over, I take off my usher badge it's over. Monday through Friday, I'm in the workplace ministry. IBM, Apple, Ford Motors, whatever. I'm working. What we are dealing with here has to do with productive, engaging outside of church where the harvest is waiting and ready. But when we come to church, all of us pitch in to make church happen in any area of ministry for which we are gifted and able to serve. So, let me be clear again. What we do in church is not a ministry, it's an act of service. I was not born again to be an usher. That is an insult to the spirit of grace. Being an usher is an essential area of service. Please understand me. I'm not, I'm not making that small. I'm not diminishing that. That is huge. We need ushers. But to now say that Jesus went to the cross and gave his life and shed his blood to make me an usher just to wear a badge and to shake people's hand every Sunday? No. That's, that's, not, that's, that's why I said to you at the beginning that the four chapter gospel must be understood. So we all know the big picture and see how we fit in in that big picture. Acts of service in the church, that, that's, no, that's, we need to be trained for that. We need to know what to do. Yes, but that's not, that's not, where, that's not the reason for which God placed you on the earth. Do, do you understand that distinction now? Is, is that clear? Okay. Anybody else? Sammy, yes, go ahead. I think she may also be referring to how in our churches, you know, human behavior is such that people do what they're rewarded for. 
So if this is so central to church life, and all we seem to reward and elevate in churches, in our gatherings, at the firefold ministries, it's in a way, it is you know, not a really good incentive uh, for people to go out there and, and, and do the things that we're talking about, especially if we're saying it as essential as it is to Christian life and to the, uh, to the whole plan of God. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that that's what she's talking about, but I think that maybe we should talk about that as well. Okay, so how do, how do we make that transition? Well, I mean, clearly, once we begin the program, as you're saying, because in many of our churches, we're not even doing this as of yet. Yes. We're not even a part of our church activity. Yeah. So clearly, once we begin and we have an active um, department, or whatever you want to call it, that will begin to happen because we will have successes, we'll have testimonials, we'll have activities, you know, that's happening, that people will be coming back to give report about what's happening, and we can celebrate those things and rejoice in them, and then they will have a little bit more visibility yeah. than they seem to have right now. So yeah. I think the reason we may not be seeing that is because we're not even, there's no activity happening as far as what we're talking about in our regular church life. Yeah. Two. If this is going to ever have to go, if this is ever going to happen, number one, and that, that flows into the next lesson, lesson number four here on page 42, and I'm going to have to do this very quickly, page 42. If this is going to happen, number one, we must see the supremacy of who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 20. We need to see Jesus as being supreme in all of the domains and vocations, period. And secondly, number two, and I'm not following the notes now, we need to abandon the Old Testament template of ministry, which is what exists in most of our uh, settings right now. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by the Old Testament template? Under the Old Testament, only Aaron and his sons had prominence. If God is going to succeed in, this, in, this, in what we're talking about, about workplace ministry, he's going to have to help us to decrease so that we can increase the saints. There's no other way it's going to happen. I need to say that again. If God is going to have to, if he's going to succeed with his plan, I mean, look at John the Baptist. What did he say? He said, I must decrease. That he may increase. Because the point is, as long as he does not decrease, there's no place for two of them. Our role, well, let, let, first let me go back to the OT. Do we ever see in the scripture where Bezalel was uh, anointed? When, when the Bible just said, God gave the spirit of wisdom, came upon him, God gave him, do we see any rule when God did it and they put a garment on him and clapped and said, Bezalel, I'll help you. No. But when Aaron was prepared for ministry, 
they, they gave a whole chapter, Exodus 28, to tell us about this ordination, the process of faith, and on and on and on and on. That's the Old Testament mentality. Yeah. Where Aaron was elevated, even though the same Spirit of God, in fact, we do not see anywhere in the Old Testament where the Bible says the Spirit of God was on Aaron. But we see where it was on Bezalel. And yet Bezalel didn't get any prominence at all. All we saw is the manifestation of his work. But Aaron got more headlines about his outfit, uh, his ordination, what he wore, the ring on his hand, and the necklace, and all of that stuff. And he was the only one that saw the Ark of the Covenant once a year. So clearly, the Old Testament was about hierarchy. Apostle, archbishop, senior pastor, senior bishop, young evangelist, senior evangelist, the middle one, the senior... Old Testament. And unfortunately, we've imported that back to this era, even though we're under grace. Where in this dispensation... There is no Paul made it clear, Galatians 3 28. There's no Greek male nor female. Born nor free. We are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And Jesus more than anybody else demonstrated that in his own life. So much so. When it was time to betray him, someone had to kiss him to show to his betrayers that this is him. They would not have been able to recognize him. Not in our churches today. Not in our churches today. Because the pastor's chair must be bigger. His car must be larger. And the cross on his neck must be huge. So we can distinguish him from everybody else. So if God is going to succeed in getting the workplace ministry fired up, we must be the champion of it, encouraging, releasing those who are doing it and giving affirmation to them and helping them know that we are in the ministry to serve them, not the other way around. Wow, I can't get an amen. Amen. I know I'm in trouble. I need bodyguard to get out of here. <laughs> I'll be translated. In Jesus' name, I'm gone. <laughs> no, but seriously. Seriously. On a, on a more serious note. That's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. 